0: Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Well, hello. I'm so happy that you're here with us today. I know it's a busy time of year, but it's also a beautiful time of year. I love this time of year where it feels like it's an in between stage. You know, we're not quite at the end, we're also not at the beginning, it's not go time yet. It's just a nice time to reflect and to journal and to meditate and to think about everything that's happened over the past year and then also to set yourself up powerfully for the new year for 2023. And if you missed my retreat, I was teaching a wonderful retreat today, um, my spirit centered self care retreat, where we were really working on bringing this vision to life and also meditating chanting also doing some pranayama as well as well as some gentle movement there is another chance to step into awakening your spiritual vision for 2023 with me i'm offering a workshop on January 7th we're going to start with primary series and a little bit of intermediate series in there to open the heart and really tap into that creative energy in the spinal cord doing some of those back bending postures and then we'll end up with some pranayama some breath work some meditation and then Setting an intention for 2023 so that you can gain clarity on your goals, on what's most important to you, and also discover how to manifest your dreams, bringing more peace into your day. Learning some tips to stay focused and motivated, and letting go of negative habits that might be holding you back—it's going to be just a wonderful opportunity on January seventh. You can find the link and all the information on my website, harmonyslater.com/slash/new-year-yoga-workshop, and the link is in the show notes and also in my bio on Instagram. So come on in—it's Going to be a wonderful opportunity for you to just set that space for yourself using the practices of yoga and then creating more clarity and visualizing what you'd like to bring into your reality for 2023. Speaking of someone with an amazing spiritual vision, today our guest, Kia Miller, has an incredible story. She has also created Radiant Body Yoga. She started through the practice of Ashtanga and then merged into Vinyasa and dove deep into Kundalini and Tantra and out of this evolved something beautiful that helps to connect to your inner wisdom and radiance. And we're gonna to talk to her today about her story, what brought her into the practice of yoga, some of the insights she's gained growing up in the Falcon Islands, and then through her journey back to England, and then to America, to LA, where her deep dive into the yoga practices really took place. Um, she's an amazing woman with such a beautiful spirit. We're going to be talking about how to connect more deeply to that spirit and also its connection to death and also the transience of of just life and the power of nature. Um, I know you're going to really, really feel inspired after meeting Kia and listening to everything that she has to share with us today. So I don't want to keep you waiting. I hope that you dive into enjoying this time with us. Maybe drinking some chai, maybe wrapping some presents, sitting by the Christmas tree, maybe baking some ginger cookies or drinking hot chocolate, or just relaxing on your sofa wrapped up in a warm blanket. There's so many nice things things to just really allow yourself to feel comfort and ease during this time of year. And it is my wish for you to feel that comfort and ease as we head into Christmas and New Year's and this holiday season. So thank you for listening and joining us. And let's hop into our interview with Kia Miller. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm so happy you're here today. We have such a beautiful, wonderful guest. I can't wait to share her story and all the amazing things that she's up to and her wisdom from all of her years of practicing yoga.
1: Our guest this morning, don't (laughs) don't bother to introduce your co-host, that's fine. But our (laughs) guest this morning is Kia Miller yoga teacher, writer, lover of life, founder of Radiant Body Yoga. Her mission is to educate and inspire, share techniques and experiences to help you unlock your hidden potential and thrive in life. And I was reading your bio, Kia. Oh, my goodness. From what I understand, you've led this titanic personal narrative and it was awesome to see the number of intersections that we have between us all in our stories. And I I'm just so excited to meet you and talk to you and 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 introduce our listeners to you.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So
1: I I wonder if you could if you could talk first of all um, about where you grew up. And I and I as I understand that was in the the Falkland Islands. And I wonder if you could talk to us about this kind of. I I personally am. I have such a romantic interest in the beautiful kind of cosmic, uh, spiritual experiences that young children have. You know, five, six, seven, and they, and they don't maybe realize it at the time, but they, but we we have them, and they're 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 just so gorgeous. And I wonder. You mentioned that that happened to you and it kind of lit up for me. And I wonder if you could talk about that, about growing up on the farm in the Falkland Islands and, and these kind of gorgeous experiences in, in nature that you had there.
2: Well, the Falkland Islands are um, so remote. You know, mm-hmm. they're in the, middle of the South Atlantic Ocean, 300 miles off the east coast, southern east, eastern coast of Argentina. And um, there's nothing there. I grew up on a, what we call a settlement, which was 110,000 acres. My father was the manager. And uh, there were about 30 people living in the settlement, counting children. So maybe eight houses and then a few shepherd's houses sort of out in the far corners of the land. So it's a, it was a very small community. And um, I loved horses, I loved being outdoors. And so from a very early age, nature was my playground. I was mm-hmm. on my own more than I was with anybody else. I was with my horses, I was with my dogs. And I would spend hours just out riding from, um, from as early as I could. So my, my experiences were that really just of being held by nature and feeling very secure in nature, I didn't grow up in an environment where there was fear mm-hmm. um, you know, I could fall in a ditch or I could be thrown off my horse, but that might be the worst that could happen. No boogeyman was gonna come get me because everybody knows everybody else, and mm-hmm. you know we're all looking out for each other so i I think that 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 first spiritual experience for me was being with nature, mm-hmm. immersed in nature.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a through line that's carried on for you. Um, Cause one of the things that really spoke to me um, when we first met and we were having this conversation with yoga gives back as the ambassadors of the year this year, and you were talking about rituals and how the rituals connect you to nature and keep you, like present and aware and feeling like attuned with nature. Can you talk a little bit about that? What kind of rituals and things do you integrate into your daily practice and into your life?
2: Well, for me, um, I mean, the ritual of going outside uh, or the ritual of, opening my window no matter how cold it is outside when I first sit down to meditate, to feel, to feel nature inside as well Mm -hmm. as outside, but also the ritual of honoring the elements, you know, the earth, the water, the fire, the air, the ether, and uh, recognizing the, the elemental makeup that we all, that we all are. And, Mm -hmm. Uh, tuning in on that level those kinds of rituals always help me to remember spirit They help me to remember the greater organizing power of the universe so it can right size my mind very quickly when I do rituals like that
0: yeah yeah I love that the the microcosm and the macrocosm and the elements outside of us reflected with the elements inside of us. And I think, you know, with the yoga tradition and Ayurveda and Sankhya, we see this this dance or this play always, this mirror happening between the the big elements and and then what's happening also within us as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Mm. Yay. Yeah.
1: Oh, gosh. It's 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 incredible kind of to to think about uh these kind of this kind of integration. I was just thinking about how uh, for so much of my childhood, I was, I was playing the Atari (laughs) and I have a very kind of dreary remembrance of that time. And yet all the time that I spent outside seems like it glowed. And in, in the memories that I have, like there was, there was so such beauty like everything kind of has a kind of golden glow about it when I think about the times that I was outside Mm. but I think about all the times I was inside it just seems really dreary and I uh it could almost lead someone to regret if you didn't you know appreciate everything that happens to you
2: (laughs) what is that musical instrument that you mentioned I don't even think I know what that is Oh, the Atari. It's a it's Oh, a yes, game. it is. It's, it's a, a musical a, instrument. No, it's it's a
1: game. <laughs>
0: like a video I game.
1: <laughs> you must go out of the loom. That's fantastic. <laughs> yes, the Atari is very much a musical instrument well, where uh... <laughs> you you sit and you have one button with your left thumb and you have a joystick with your right. And then what you try to do is synchronize your breath. <laughs> With the movement on the television screen.
0: You were you were outside exploring nature <laughs> while the Atari was uh happening. It's yeah. it's finished now. It's time is ended, I think.
1: <laughs> you know you know the other thing that, that strikes me is that I was you know, I was also like experiencing um uh, in my family life like total chaos. I was having a lot of uh traumatic experiences in mm-hmm. the home. Um we were getting break-ins, there was abuse, there was um, fighting, there was awful things happening. And yet when I still, I have these beautiful memories Mm
2: -hmm. of being
1: outside and how, and they're very precious to me. And I, something that, that I think also Mm -hmm. that we share is this kind of contradiction of, you know, having beautiful spiritual experiences, but also like right in the midst of Some things that were quite traumatizing. Mm -hmm. Do you feel comfortable talking about that at all? Oh, sure. Sure. Because I think one thing that you mentioned was waking up to tracer fire outside your window.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, even before that, you know, it was a pretty emotionally volatile Um, household that I grew up in Mm -hmm. and so nature and animals were my safe place Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, where I could I always felt safe I always felt connected I felt I felt seen I felt heard I felt you know all of those things that Mm
3: -hmm. that
2: the soul um desires
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, and yes, then I woke up one morning, uh, which is a funny story, actually. So in 1982, the um, Argentinians invaded the Falkland Islands. And about two days before that, I was in a school class in my geography class. And um, there'd been rumblings of us getting invaded. And, um, but, you know, it was way before any information moved very quickly. And my geography teacher said, "Oh, there's as much likelihood of us getting uh, invaded as there is a witch flying overhead on a broomstick." <laughs> that was like, I think, two or th- maybe three days before, and then, um, oh, and then gosh. I was in a boarding school, uh, and I woke up and there were tracer bullets flying past the window, uh, and it was a very, it was a very interesting time. Um, So I was, what, 13 then. Mm -hmm. I went through this strange, I went through this phase because I'd been to boarding school in Argentina from 7 to 11 where I'd been introduced to sort of organized religion. I was, Mm -hmm. I went to, I guess I I grew up Protestant, but then I went to the Protestant um, church on the weekends. But if that was closed, they sent us to the Catholic one instead which I was. That's you hilarious. Know, you
3: know, if that's I true. think
2: about it now, I'm like, oh, that's great. That's perfect for yeah. me. I loved that. I was yeah. sort of happy in both places. But then I remember when I got um, pulled back to the Falkland Islands, walking along this, um, this beautiful uh, road with the, with the seawall right next to you and the, mm-hmm. the ocean right there and just deciding to myself, I don't think I believe in God. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. and having that moment. But, but, I, ha, but I, ha, I was always spiritually connected.
3: Mm-hmm. But
2: I remember that moment, and that was just shortly before the Argentinians invaded, and then, you know, our whole worlds were, were rocked. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm.
1: Did, you, did you have a definition of God pretty clearly formed at that point? Was it different now?
2: I think my my definition is probably as it was when I grew up, which was my own form, which was formless. It was just the experience of I, I never felt alone out in nature. I mean, there's yeah. just that experience of a of a presence mm-hmm. that I didn't know what to uh, what to call it, and then of course it was being shaped um a boarding school as I'm you know going through the rosary or whatever you know whatever it was mm-hmm. so it started to be shaped into something and then I decided it wasn't that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um yeah and so that my my spiritual quest has taken many shapes and forms it's been an interesting journey i actually i saw somebody i saw many things during that war as you would, or conflict, as it was yeah. called. <laughs> um, and um, one of those was actually uh, kneeling in front of somebody who was passing, a soldier. Mm. And he was dying. Dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was dying, and I, um, I just got that sense of the, of the soul moving mm. up.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm.
2: of the of the energy leaving i got that sense mm-hmm. and again i couldn't put words to it and i was pulled out of the room very quickly after that but i had that sense of that happening uh yeah and and so yeah and death's been an interesting doorway for me when my father died uh he didn't it wasn't a dream but i was asleep and he just said to me it's okay i'm okay
3: mm-hmm.
2: and i knew he was okay so mm-hmm. i didn't grieve for him at all
3: mm-hmm. and then when
2: my mother passed just a few years ago i had that experience of her personality of her of her shedding her personality and feeling her soul for the f- for few hours, just sitting by her bedside, holding her hand as it got progressively colder and colder Oof. and having this experience of the personality gone and just this pure love of the soul
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: and all of the personality things and areas where we've been in conflict
3: mm-hmm.
2: dissolving in that moment and having no more relevance it was such an interesting experience. Anyway, we, I don't know how really I got on to death, but here we are. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, that's but what you and... we're talking about the the Falklands War and how very mm-hmm. and how you're kind of living in a yeah. kind of idyllic villa in the yes. middle of, with like thirty thousand sheep around you. I don't know how they fit all those sheep on an island, <laughs> and and then suddenly you're confronted with death. Yeah, at a very young age, and that's. You know how does that affect a, a human being? you know how does that shape a person as they become a young adult?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. you know bec- maybe also because I grew up on a farm, I was used to death
3: mm. mm-hmm.
1: because oh, I saw like it a all dead the animal yeah. yeah yeah sure yeah
2: and and nothing it was never it was never death for the sake of death. It was either something died mm-hmm. for illness or age or it was death because you know we were consuming the the um the animals in what in you know for for those purposes. For whatever uh, so reason
1: this, people want to do that.
2: Yes. <laughs> well that's a whole other story. But, you know in that realm I did decide I was going to be a vegetarian somewhere in there. Yeah.
3: yeah. Absolutely. <laughs>
0: Maybe because of that too, right? Yeah. I think sometimes I don't know. It can be it can be hard. You know, the animals are like friends at some point, and you feel like, wait a second, they
2: are. I don't to so. eat
0: my friend.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? How we yeah. how we are. Um, yeah. It's interesting how sensitive we are as mm-hmm. children. Yeah. for the most yeah. part, you know, that we really get the yeah. whole holistic part of nature. We're more curious. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, Mm -hmm.
0: I like though that you did bring up the death because I feel like, you know, you have a, a depth of, of spiritual practice and not just practice, but like that current, you know, going through you. And I feel very much that death and, and spirituality or death and, and, um, you know, that, Universal consciousness or that spirit are very much interconnected and very much part of each other. Like you're saying, you know, in that death, the spirit becomes so um, tangible, almost.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's gorgeous. But when
0: it's in the body, it's like we're very much attached to the body, and so it's yeah, again, like this really interesting. Um, mirror or like juxtaposition that we're like actually very much attached to death because what we're attached to is going it's dying all the time Mm -hmm. and then but then there's this other sort of aspect of this spirit this everlasting ever living essence that we can connect to but is a little more um ethereal maybe while we're stuck in this Meat suit, I guess. Meat suit. Speaking of,
1: yes. yeah. of food. You know. <laughs> a skeleton uh, embodied by uh, a ghost.
2: Sorry, go ahead.
1: A meat suit hung on a skeleton and embodied by a ghost.
2: <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, that's quite the image. <laughs> <laughs> wow
1: i I didn't mean to interrupt you though I'm yeah. sorry. that's all right. It's great. I forgot what I was going to
2: say.
0: <laughs> I, you shocked her i was
1: I was gonna say that i i remember um I, growing up I grew up in the countryside, and um I remember like any young American, I was given a gun, you know quite early, and so I had this little twenty two rifle I think I was eleven and I would go out and shoot things with it. And, um, and uh, there was a, a huge flock of starlings flew over, flew over the house. I said, oh, that's awesome. And I shot, I shot up into the sky and I was in the backyard. My mouth dropped as one of the birds dropped right out of the sky into our backyard. Wow. And I'm like, oh, and I was still alive. Uh. And I went into the house and I told my mom, my mommy, that there was a bird in the backyard that I had shot out of the sky and was still alive. She said, "Well, that's not very nice, is it? You have to, you have to finish it." I'm like, "Oh," and I had to go back into the backyard and shoot this bird to death. And it didn't finish the second, third, or fourth time oh. I shot it. And I just terrible story. It's a terrible story, and it left me with the 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 feeling like I don't ever want any part of that experience ever again. I don't want anything Mm. to do with this, and and I I saw no joy in it, and I saw no satisfaction in in that, and I was Mm. had no desire to be a part of it.
2: It is so. It's so interesting, isn't it? Um, I think that. For me, at least, yeah. When we're living, let's just say it this way, when we're living really connected to nature, where we started off our conversation connected to nature, connected to the cycles of life, connected to our right-sized nature, uh in the midst of everything around us, I think we're more likely to walk through life with respect of all living beings, mm-hmm. you know, as our um, mm-hmm. First Nation brothers and sisters did for the. Mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so when we are disconnected from nature in that way, I think it's, it's easier to look at... Um, To look at nature as something that we might consume Mm -hmm. as opposed to just be a part of, To She is our mother. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and everything that lives on this planet is, in essence, you know, our brothers and sisters, we're all part of the same creative consciousness. That which created all is in everything, everywhere. Mm. And so in that case we're going to, at least with that belief system, and I'm not saying everybody has that belief system, but when one does, it's much easier to walk through life in a state of reverence for everything that is, mm-hmm. as opposed to feeling the need to consume things um, mm-hmm. in an unconscious way. Yeah, in an unconscious yeah. way. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, and I feel like that's where so many of the of so much of the suffering is coming right now is just the unconsciousness, the conditioning that we're all on this path of <sighs> yoga, trying so hard to break ourselves free of that we could just glimpse beyond the collective conditioning, beyond the social conditioning, to see beyond where we could glimpse into a way of living harmoniously a way of living respectfully a way of taking only what we need um a way of walking in harmony and in my own experience you know this it it's not a quick fix it takes time to to harness our inner vitality our energy to understand how to break through of the conditioning to learn you know to learn and recognize the part of your mind that isn't the conditioned part, mm-hmm. and to, and to begin to, to really work with that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: I I do struggle to walk in harmony, but I I I it's okay walking beside her. <laughs> But I can do that. I can I've be heard next. That joke
0: my whole life. I can be next
1: to harmony. I wonder how did how did all of this affect your family? Like 1982, you're thir- 12, 13, I think you said, mm-hmm. and the conflict was over in a month, maybe two, two months,
2: 74 days, I think it was. Something 74 like
1: days. That. Wow. Something like that. And, uh, y- you're... Your your people were allowed to keep their their land and stay there, and then and then, but that still must have kind of disturbed everyone.
2: It was very disturbing. I I, I um because you you're both so prone to laughter, and I love laughter and joy. Just for the sake of levity, here I'll just say <laughs> I had this glimpse of, you know, um, I love a man in uniform. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it made an impression on you know, yeah
2: from that came from living my little life there in the middle of nowhere and suddenly mm. having you know uniforms everywhere yeah men, wow. and, um, men
1: on your and side yes, of course
2: it affected all of us but you know what i wasn't politicized at 13. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I didn't understand politics. I had just been, from 7 to 11, I had been living in Argentina uh, nine months of the year at boarding school. Right. And Argentinians were my friends. Yeah. I spoke the language. They were my yeah. friends. So when they came and they took over our farm and, you know, they were rough on my father, my um, uh and um yeah, they took over they took over the farm. I actually went out and I was fishing and trading fish for fruit with the young Argentinian soldiers who honestly weren't that much older than I was. Wow. Yeah. And um and so when the British came to retake the islands, they actually took our farm first because they had contacted my mother who lived in England at the time. They had no up-to-date ordnance survey maps. Ah. And so she drew them the area that she knew the best, which was our farm. So that's where they came to retake the island. So the Argentinians are running out one side and the British are coming in the other. We're waking up to these, you know, sounds of bombs and whatever. And my father Runs off to meet the British, and meanwhile, I slip off down to run off to my friends, the Argentinians, who nice. I'd been chatting trading. with and trading yeah. with. Um, and uh, yeah, that's a whole other story that that was uh, in a very uh intense experience as yeah. well. Uh, so yes, it did dramatically change our lives. Um, because because a whole way of life was disturbed. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, Margaret Thatcher's time, she mm-hmm. was privatizing left, right, and center in yeah. England. And so then she decided that the islands she sh- should be privatized as well. In other words, anybody who owned land who was an overseas landlord and the people who owned um, Port St. Carlos were Irish. Mm-hmm. So all overseas landlords had to sell. And the idea was that they would sell and the farms would be split up from 110,000 acres into five parts. My brother actually bought a part of it. But what happened was you then dismantled the whole way of life, which was to live together in an an interdependent community, Mm -hmm. which had its – everybody in the community had their function – you know, had their support. Now suddenly, you have five different farmers on isolated properties, with really not enough land to make it viable because it's it's uh, acres per sheep, not sheep per acre, in the mm. and so it changed life dramatically. Actually, mm. from from the way it was when I was living there. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah of the oh. the inevitable change, of course, we see it everywhere, yeah. um, but that propelled i think the greatest change that people experienced in the islands wow. um, yeah, maybe even more so than the conflict itself was mm. the 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 change of life afterwards
1: i huh. was yeah. I was struck when we came on online that um I wasn't- exactly looking at an l a yogi but i was like oh look she's an argentine she has a kind of there's like a flavor there and we in harmony i've been to to buenos aires and taught yoga in argentina and loved it i had to to personally go buy my own hot sauce because they don't they don't use (laughs) hot sauce in argentina which was came as a shock but um all the same i was like wow you really have a kind of um flair for for i was expecting maybe someone more more british
2: oh yes
1: (laughs) yeah i can
2: be british if i've just watched the british show i'll be very british (laughs) i am definitely one of those people that i blend in with my environment
3: yeah
2: and so i um i know people here who are british who have their british accent still um and then I know others like me who tend to take on wherever we are. And the American a- accent is insidious. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Even in London now you hear it. Yeah. And, and so you, you went to to, to London to, to model or to England?
2: I did. Well, I went from the Falkland Islands to England after my father passed. I stayed in the island for a little while and then I decided I should go be with my mother and I actually took the QE2. That's she's um, the Queen Elizabeth. She's two. one of the QNOD, the Queen Elizabeth two. She's one of the Q, the the huge QNOD cruise ships. And it was me, and it was my grandma, and uh, one other woman, and then the whole rest of the QNOD... Wow, um, man, was was military people. Yeah, and, um, we went via Ascension. We went to England. And um, I remember some cute young officer, I was still <laughs> very young at the time, flirting yeah. uh, outrageously with me yeah. <laughs> telling me, oh, you'll be a model someday. And I don't yeah. know if he planted the seed or who did, but wow. um, I, d- I did one of those random things, like I entered a competition and yeah. sent in some photos and won the competition. and. Wow. Then, you know, my mother thought I was going to fail all my A-level exams yeah,
3: yeah.
2: Um, because I got rheumatoid fever and oh. glandular fever right about the same time. Um, so she agreed to let me go to a modeling school in Manchester.
3: Wow. Which is oh, going
2: far from Manchester.
3: Yeah.
2: And, um, and then, of course, in I fell in love with that. And yeah. I did pass all my exams. Um, but then I was already very much liking my modeling life. I I, I went to university for a term mm-hmm. to please my mother, only to find out that I really didn't want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> and I was already earning such good money as a model that, mm-hmm. I, um, wow. that I I turned in that direction instead.
0: And so how <laughs> did you, from this, move into yoga? Where did that fit in with your... Well, the funny story. thing
1: is I, that I, I have these on the on the question list. I know I'm I I, I, ask ask leading my own there, but, but there's a whole process here. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. What's the process? No, no. She she
0: Well, no, I want to know.
1: Well, she became she got involved in documentary film.
0: Ah. <laughs> okay. Well, let her tell us.
2: Well, even before <laughs> even before that, it's funny <laughs> that um the reason I got into yoga Or the first, my first touchstone with yoga was a Raquel Welsh book on beauty.
1: Oh, nice. And she was doing a little bit of stretching in there, was she?
2: Because she actually had the Bikram postures. Right, yeah. Which she later got sued by, which is when they decided, you know, that you couldn't patent a yoga sequence. Yeah. Um, But I remember thinking, if it's good enough for Raquel, it's good enough for me. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Amazing.
1: I I wanted to be good enough for Raquel.
2: <laughs> That's awesome. Most people these days of course
1: are like who's Raquel? Who? No, I I have a very very vivid image of her in my mind right now. <laughs> Standing on some rock with some kind of cave out cave girl out. Exactly. On. Exactly.
3: Yeah.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: And so where did you take your mm. first yoga class? Did that that like kind of gave you some inspiration but
2: Yeah, then I d- I actually did her that sequence on my mm-hmm. own all yeah. the time. I, I I always had discipline. Again, grow I think growing up on a farm you always have jobs you you're used to. Mm-hmm. You're used to doing stuff. Yeah. Um and uh so I I did her, that sequence a lot. Um and then when I moved to London, I went to this studio on the edge street in Kensington. Mm. Um, I think it was called the edge street studio or yeah, I can't remember what it was called now. It's still there. Okay. Um, And they have another one. I'm having a blank on the name. So that's so, so that was it. There was a lovely teacher there called Godfrey DeFro
1: and he's, he was
2: an Ashtangi, and but yeah. he created kind of his own style.
1: Yeah, he's quite famous in in the UK. People maybe in the North America may not have heard of him, but right when I was when I was living in in England, it was like, oh, Godfrey, he's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yes, he was way out there. I remember going with my girlfriend to his house, and there he is, and he's like, you know, practicing yoga, and he's virtually naked. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and we're thinking this is really strange.
3: Yeah. You know? um, <laughs> yeah.
2: But he'd clearly just come from Mysore and, you know, he had that whole vibe, but yeah. that was my first introduction to that kind of wow. vibe. Wow.
0: Yeah. And did you love it? Did you fall in love with it immediately or were you like, whoa, this is far out?
2: <laughs> um, he was quite far out. So, so I, I moved on to a couple of teachers that, um, yeah. That were in the studio, a woman, Kati. I never forget um, schooling me on, you know, keeping yoga props correctly. Right.
1: Uh-oh. You
3: know. Yeah. Anger a- like, influence. Like there's
1: a correct way to use a chair.
0: Yes. Uh, yeah. Put and and things
2: away right neatly honestly. when you're done.
0: Right.
1: Yes.
2: But I've actually always uh, appreciated uh, that <laughs> kind of teacher. I like somebody who can really tell me what to do.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> That's yeah. <laughs> so funny. And so then, but this evolved obviously into uh, Kundalini yoga.
2: Yes, it did. So I moved to the United States. Mm-hmm. I um, started <laughs> to go to Yoga Works on Main Street. And You're... then I was doing is... a stronger still with Chuck mm-hmm. Miller and Monty, mm-hmm. but I was getting into vinyasa classes as well. Had a brief uh, year and a half stint in in Northern California where I practiced oh, with John, John Malinsky. Malinsky. Yeah. yeah,
1: my good buddy JB. I, I was wondering I, if if it was in the 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 studio down south in LA, or had John already moved to to Marin?
2: Okay. It was in Marin. It was the, the yoga studio in um in Marin where mm-hmm. I practiced with him in in Mill Valley. Yeah. And actually he was the one who got me into, you know, 6 AM Mysore. Yeah. Wow. He just kept saying, come, 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 and then I'd show up and I'd be yawning away. And then he'd say, just have some coffee before you come. And I was like, "Oh, wait. <laughs> I get to have my tea, my black tea before I come to yoga. Oh, that's worth getting up
1: for. Yeah. And- it it was Leah was there as well at the same time. Yes, she was. Yeah, Maybe more drawn to JB than to Leah. I think people went in different, like people uh, went either both, one direction or the other.
2: I loved both, but I was mainly with him. But when I wanted a more a softer approach, I went to her. But mm-hmm. equally, both loved them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. And, and then that- for <laughs> Kundalini, I just, um I we'd moved back to Los Angeles. Or actually, no, it was, be, wait, it was before then that I met Guru Singh. I was still in my modeling days, and there were two women that I just thought, wow, mm-hmm. whatever they have, I want what they have.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, what they had in common was Guru Singh was Kundalini Yoga.
0: Wow. And they were models that you were working with or like in connection Yes,
2: with. well, one was, was a far higher level model than I was. She was mm-hmm. supermodel status. Um, And she took me to my first uh, Guru Singh class. Wow. And I remember thinking, because I'm an Ashtangi at heart, you know. Right. yeah, then, like, oh, uh, now I have to go get my workout in. Like, what was all this (laughs) Jumbo Jumbo stuff.
0: Yeah, Yeah, but it's like a seed took took root, obviously.
2: Well, Guru Singh took root. I mean, I'd never met anybody like him. You know, I'd never met anybody like him. I still don't think I've ever met anybody like him. He's one of the most unique human beings on the planet. And um, so I kept going to his classes. I was curious. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, you know, one day I had an experience after doing a strong naval set where my mind just went quiet.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: All the masks dissipated fell away and I just remember having this experience of like oh oh that's who I am and um and then I was hooked Mm -hmm. I was absolutely hooked yeah I dived into teacher training um shortly after that and um and then the journey just kept getting deeper and I made the decision I was like I want to dig a deep well Mm um I'd already dug a very deep well in Ashtanga uh, and then I was like I'm going to dig a deep well here so I I did mm. I just studied and studied and studied and studied mm. until until I got to the point where I was like okay now I get this system now I got to figure out like where is this coming from you know um, and so I started to study in different kundalini lineages to um just to, to i think really confirm reconfirm and confirm and
1: mm-hmm. you know
2: the teachings that i had to, to to get a bit more um of a sense of the roots of them mm-hmm. and that was an important process for me
1: when yeah yeah uh, when i came back from korea in 98 I start, i got my first yoga teaching job at yogi yoga in austin texas Yes. do you know matab and gurukaram you must I, do
2: i know matab not well but i did a gong course with him once and i, I just loved yeah. him he's another cosmic being
1: he is a cosmic being <laughs> yeah has the largest comic book collection in texas
2: oh i love that <laughs> i love an, that
1: he's an amazing dude and a lot of the people that i was with there in austin they were you know Definitely like you making a transition from Ashtanga into Kundalini, and I just ended up going in in the opposite direction. But there's this, there's a, like definitely a particular vibe that comes with a, a Kundalini studio and like doing Ashtanga yoga on a white bare rug. You know, everyone's <laughs> wearing white, and you know, and it's like there's um. Were you drawn to that aspect of it, of a kind of being steeped in a culture? Whereas the with Ashtanga you could kind of sometimes feel like you're working out at a gym.
2: Yeah, you know, yes. I mean I I, I I my first love will always be the Mysore room. Walking into an Ashtanga Mysore room and and having that certain feeling of everybody in their practice and the teacher mm-hmm. moving around, adjusting, you know, there's something so special about that mm. to me was yes. priceless. It couldn't, couldn't, nothing could touch that in so many ways. Um, but what I got, or and what I got in the Kundalini world was the holistic mm. perspective of yoga. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yoga is not just the mat mm-hmm. and that practice. Yoga is the lifestyle. Yoga is the ashram. Yoga is the food. Yoga is the, you know, the, the ethics. Yoga is its yoga is is, uh, is about um, transformation of consciousness. You're, you know, it was like the whole toolkit became yeah. clear to me.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and what I loved, which I think in the Iyengar and the Ashtanga tradition has been so held back, was the abundance of powerful pranayama practices that kind of blow the lid off of who, mm-hmm. you, who you think you are in the moment. Mm. until you're you know you start to recognize that space and place that is not bound by the personality and all the needs and desires and attachments and aversions of the personality, mm. and so the breath work the meditations, nobody in all my Ashtanga years had ever taught me to meditate
3: mm. yeah
2: uh so now having all these different um practices, and then delving in and learning about mantra. Mm
3: -hmm. Of
2: course, we have the Ashtanga mantra at the beginning, um, that sort of reverence and honoring of, of the guru. But then I'm getting introduced to mantra in a much different, you know, methodology, chanting out loud, um, over and over and over and over and over again mm-hmm. for 11 minutes, 31 minutes, 62 minutes, mm-hmm. starting to do m- deep meditations with mantra, with mudra, and and learning how to focus the mind. I mean, these tools that I, that I learned in the Kundalini world and then going for 16 years with my husband to white tantric yoga in um, uh, New Mexico and, uh... you know, nine hours a day deep, Practices awake at 2 30 in the morning. It's like we laugh so much these days, and we're like, wow, we were honed at that time. Like, (laughs) really, we were chiseled. Yeah. And it was amazing yoga, meditation, boot camp, and all the clothing and all of that, everything that went with it. I never really minded. I'll just finish here. But Guru Singh. Really, always. He, if I ever need a different perspective on anything, I go to him, and I'm like, "Gurusing, why are we all here? And we're all wearing white, and it just feels like a cult to me." And you know, <laughs> yeah. And and, and and he just reframed it. He's like, you know what? He's like, you come up that road, and you enter the, you know, Ramdas Puri land, and he's like, and you leave your old identity behind. He's mm-hmm. like, we're all neutral here. We put on the white. We come in and we're, we're we're the same. We leave the personality behind. And I was like, okay, I can get with that. And I got with that. And, you know, I just never really bothered about all of that. I did what I was asked. I covered my head to teach. I wore white. I did what I was asked. I was respectful of my teachers. It never was a thing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, st- he, he reframed a couple of times for me different things. And I just, yeah, I I I rolled with it. Mm-hmm. And I always had my foot in many different rooms. You know, I'm in the Ashtanga room still. I'm going to Iyengar classes yeah. mm-hmm. two, three times a week. I'm like Ashtanga straight into Iyengar class and then maybe Kundalini in the afternoon. Like to me, it was everything. And that's what I ended up teaching was, you know, a, a company, combination of everything i ever learned that was working for me mm. so yeah. and
1: that's radiant body yoga
2: yes that's radiant body
1: yoga and how could people find that
2: um kiyamela.com
1: kiyamela
2: uh, yoga on social media things
1: I would love another three hours to talk with you at some I point in the future. Yeah, I think let's you're do amazing. A up. <laughs> I would love you. to follow you up. <laughs> love you guys. Love you too.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon.